To learn more about The Church at West Gant, visit us at www.thechurchatwg.com or visit our Facebook page, and we would love to connect with you. Have a great day. All right. If you are staying in here with me, if you're a big kid, uh, open your Bible up to, uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 11 this morning. Genesis chapter 11. We've been in a series that we've called God's Story as we've been looking at uh, the overall picture of Scripture, and uh, we have been kind of slowly making our way through Genesis. We are about to really kind of speed up, and it feels like we've been uh, really taking our time to only be on Genesis 11 and knowing that we've only got really just about four or five weeks left in this sermon series. How are we going to cover the rest of Scripture in four or five weeks is going to be very interesting, but here's what you need to know. These first 11 chapters of Genesis, and really uh, even beyond that, but they, they cover a large section of time. And so even though we're not covering a lot of scripture and movement through books of the Bible, we are covering large periods of time. Uh, we've gone through literally hundreds of years of history in our first few weeks, uh, and we're about to jump and cover some more uh, this morning. Uh, and so uh, don't worry, we're going to get there. Uh, we've got a lot to cover in just a few short weeks, uh, but we have been excited to walk through this series with you. We kind of started this series with a conversation about creation and uh, who God is and why he created, uh, but we began with this kind of purpose statement uh, that out of God's loving character, he created a universe according to his pleasure to accomplish his purposes for his glory. So God, out of his loving character, created a universe according to his pleasure to accomplish his purposes for his glory. But it didn't take long before sin entered into the world and messed all that up, and that phrase was shifted, and anywhere we see God, it is replaced with us. Sin has distorted every part of God's creation. It seeks our pleasure, our purposes, and our glory, and its ultimate end is destruction. We spent the last few weeks Talking about this sin aspect, I told Wes this morning as we uh, gathered for just a couple minutes in between uh, different aspects we were working on this morning, and I looked at Wes and I said, I can't wait to get out of the sin part of this because I feel like it's been super depressing the last couple of weeks um, as we've just kind of just pushed on the idea of sin, and Will did a great job last week talking about this idea of sin, but, but man, it can weigh heavy on you, and at some point we need some hope. Right? At some point, we need some joy. We need to be reminded that Jesus is coming, that there is uh, a joy to our salvation. And so we are getting there, and I hope to kind of touch on some joy this morning. But I do need to talk about one more story out of the Old Testament that really helps us understand the, the true effect of sin and what, how it really uh, engrossed us and how it has affected every part of who we are. And that is the story of the Tower of Babel. As I was preparing for this message this morning, I was researching a little bit and reading some different articles, and I came across one that actually wasn't an article from a uh, theological writing. It was actually out of a, a magazine. It was a profile that was done uh, on a multimillionaire uh, at the age of 32. Um, and so I want to read you just a little bit about this man, and, and I want you to pick up on a few things from it. It says this. I'm reading straight from the article. It says this. It says, it is dusk. Gordon Hall stands at an overlook of his 55,000-square-foot mansion in Paradise Valley, a structure built by Pittsburgh industrialist Walker McCune and now owned and being renovated by Hall. He is 32 years old and a millionaire many times over. He stares at the range of lights stretching before him from horizon to horizon and breathes a deep, relaxed sigh. 
The lights of the city are like the campfires of a great army to haul, he who sees himself as its benevolent general. They are like the flashlights of the world's fortune seekers, and Hall is their beacon to riches. They are for Hall like the stars of the firmament, and he is above them. He is worth more than 100 million, he says, because it was his goal to be worth more than 100 million before the age of 33. There are other goals that he has as well. By the time he's 38, he wants to be a billionaire. By the time his earthly body expires, he is convinced that he will live to be 120 years old, he will assume what he believes to be his just heavenly reward. Gordon Hall will be a god. We have always existed as intelligences, as spirits, he says. We are down here to gain a body as a man is now, God once was, and as God is now, man can become. If you believe it, then your genetic makeup is to be a God, and I believe it. That is why I believe I can do anything. My genetic makeup is to be a God. My God in heaven creates worlds and universes. I believe I can do anything too. How deeply, desperately wicked is that? I can be a God of my own making. I can accumulate and build and create and do all of these things until the point where I become as God is now. I become a ruler of my own universe. Wow. How terrible. How wicked. And yet... Many of us carry the same attitude in maybe smaller scales. Let me accumulate. Let me build my kingdom here on earth. Let me make sure I have all the things that I need and I want and I desire, and then I'll take care of the things that God desires for me. Let me put on hold the things that God wishes for me, the, the calling that he's placed on my life, the, the serving that he's asked me to be a part of. Let me put on hold all of these things in order to accumulate and to build and, and to make these things that will make a name for myself, that will, that will make me something in this world. We all carry just a hint of that somewhere. It's an effect of sin. It's a part of living in a fallen world that needs a savior. It is part of who we are. I watch these shows with my wife. She's a big, uh, she watches that Magnolia Network now. It used to be HGTV, was on our TV all the time. But then Chip and Joanna Gaines, if you know who they are, they created their own network and now that stays on our, our TV nonstop. And we watch all these shows and I watch these people who build these homes and it's incredible because they're like, yeah, we're, we're gonna build a, a $3 million home and, and, and yeah, we've got a, a $5 million renovation budget. And it's like, well, what do you do for a living? Oh, I pick up peanuts at the circus. And it's like, what? How do you do that? Like, there's no way you're building a $5 million home picking up peanuts. And, and it's just, it's amazing to me that they just have this money. And, and every once in a while, I will catch in my own heart this idea of just jealousy coming out as I watch these people. And I go, you get to build that? 
You, you get to do that in this world? And, and man, look at your home, how beautiful and, and amazing, your own little kingdom on a hill. And, and man, I wish I had that, and I wish I could accumulate the things that it takes to make that happen. And, and man, wow, what, what would I have to do? And, and man, how many, how many hours can I work this week in addition to what I'm already doing at the church? How many more hours am I going to have to work to, to accomplish that? And man, I'll even catch myself every once in a while scrolling through Indeed, if you know what Indeed is. It's a job search thing, and I'll be scrolling through there going, I wonder if there's any part-time jobs out there I can pick up so I can get that. It's a part of our nature. We just desire these things. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to have the biggest and the best. And, and even when we thought we've put that to bed, even when we think we've overcome it, it creeps back in in some ways in our lives, and we may not be this Gordon Hall guy standing in front of a 55,000-square-foot mansion, but we have our own little kingdoms. We have our own little cities and towers that we're trying to build. I want you to see this story in Genesis chapter 11 where a group of people, a group of God's people, fall into that same temptation. Let's read together Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for some and uh, bitumen, bitumen uh, excuse me, brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. But they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower and its top in the heavens or with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with uh, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is the only this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name uh, was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray together over the reading of God's word. God, we thank you for the stories that we find in this book that teach and instruct, that discipline us, that encourage us. God, we thank you for the truth of this word and how we can always go to its pages to find uh, the answers to the things that we are dealing with. And, and God, I thank you for even the honest truth of just knowing that, God, I am a sinful man with a fallen heart and a, and a messed up mindset. And, and God, I still fall into the traps of sin. God, I still fall into the traps of this world, and I need the reminder of Scripture, Father, that, that, that teaches me and, and, and comes alongside of me and convicts me of my sin. And, and God, I pray this morning you would use it that way in all of us. God, I pray uh, that we would be shown, Father, where we're building our own little kingdom, where we're trying to build our city and our tower, and Father, what your desire is for us in that. Now, God, I pray that if there's anything in us that doesn't line up with what we've just read this morning, that over the next few minutes as we talk through it, God, that you would just convict us and challenge us, that you would help us to cast off anything that doesn't look like you. And Father, if there's things on this page that we haven't picked up yet, spiritual disciplines that need to be applied to our lives, God, I pray that you would use uh, the reading of your word uh, to transform us to look more like your son, Jesus. God, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we've picked up Genesis 11. We've got this story 
of the Tower of Babel. Let me fill you in on kind of what's happened from last week to this week, all right? And so Will talked about the story of Noah last week and, and the idea of the ark and the flood and all these things and how God destroyed the world. And so uh, uh, he brings Noah off of the ark, Noah and his three sons and, and their wives. They come off the ark, all the animals come off, and, and God has this moment with Noah uh, towards the end of this story. God uh, brings Noah to this hillside. They're talking, and God's having this conversation, and, and God speaks directly to Noah, and he makes a promise to Noah. In fact, I want you to see it. Flip back with me to chapter 9 and verse 1. Chapter 9 and verse 1, it says this, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This should sound really familiar to us because it is the exact same command that God had given to Adam and Eve in the garden. God comes alongside Adam and Eve and he says, hey, I got a few things for you to accomplish. Real simple, make babies, fill the earth, <laughs> take care of it, subdue it, have dominion over it, right? Like that's it, pretty simple. Do that and you are accomplishing my purposes. But what we've seen over the last few weeks as we've talked about the effects of sin was that God, we exchanged God's pleasure for our pleasure and we, we decided we wanted to do some things that we wanted to do because it was fun for us or we thought it would benefit us. We thought we would become like God. We thought we would have freedoms and abilities. And then we exchanged God's purposes for our purposes, right? And, and so we watched as like the whole earth was filled with darkness and just evil to the point that God comes to Noah and says, hey, Noah, we got to start over. You're the only guy I got left. We're going to scrap this and we're, we're starting fresh, right? And so I got I to gotta redeem my purposes. My purpose was that you would fill the earth. Y'all haven't been doing that. You've just been messing it up. So let's start over. So, so he redeems this purpose with Noah and he starts over, but then immediately... Noah hops off the ark, his three sons go out, they start having babies with their wives, and in fact, you can read the, the lineage of all these men and where they come from and what tribes come out of them, but they multiply like rabbits. I mean, they're just coming, it's, it's flying. The, the earth is being filled and it's great. But then one of these tribes, some of these guys who are migrating from the east, they're doing exactly what God has said. Go fill the earth. Go, go occupy every square inch of what I've given you. And they're doing that well until we get to, uh, to Genesis chapter 11. And then all of a sudden we get this group of people who goes, hey, question, wouldn't it be better if we just settled down right here and just built ourselves a city and a tower? Hey, question, didn't God destroy the earth already one time with a big flood? And I know he promised not to do that, but, but hey, you know, it's kind of scary, big waters and all that. Maybe we should build, some theologians believe, uh, they, they decided to build this tower so that if there ever was another flood, they could just climb to the top of the tower and avoid the water. They, they didn't trust God. They didn't believe him. They didn't trust his promises. And so, man, how quickly we've gone from like, hey, Noah, I've got this promise. Go multiply, be fruitful, and fill the earth. Just like two generations later, Noah's grandsons are walking around the earth going, hey, maybe we should just not do that. Maybe we should just stop and kind of do our own thing. Maybe we should build our own little kingdom here. And what I love about this is, man, God had given these people an entire world to rule over and have dominion in. You know what they settled for? A city and a tower. 
Man, God has given us so much. God has blessed us beyond belief. He has, he has given us everything we need this side of eternity to be the people of God that he desires us to be. But so many times we look at all the things that God has blessed us with and we're willing to trade that for a city and a tower. We're willing to trade that for the occupation that we want, not the calling that God has placed on our lives. We're willing to trade that for the way that we choose to spend our money and the things that we want to have and the hobbies that we desire, not the way that God chooses or wants us or desires for us to spend our time and our resources. We settle. And that's what these people were doing, the grandsons of Noah. They come across this city, this plain of Shinar, and they go, hey, let's stop here. Some translations of the plain of Shinar translate this way. It says that it is the, the valley of the world. They stopped building. They stopped pursuing God's kingdom in order to sit in a valley somewhere. The plain at the bottom of it, or maybe at the top, I don't know. But to settle there, to try to build their own little world. Why do we do this? Why do we fall into these same traps? Why does Satan still do that to us? Thousands of years later, we sit in the same temptation to go, man, I know God has called us. We just watched a video. I know God has called me to be sent to go or to give resources or, or to, to be a part of what God is doing across this whole world. But I am content to sit in West Gant, South Carolina in my pew and, and, and do nothing and be nowhere. And, and man, I know I'm preaching to the choir because here's the truth, man. I love y'all. Y'all are one of the best churches I've ever been a part of as far as just people being willing to go and do. But sometimes we fall into that trap. We, we fall into the temptation to say, I'm just going to enjoy coming to a Sunday service, but I'm not going to serve or be a part of one of the teams. I'm going to enjoy being a part of the world that God wants me to be in, but I'm not going to give of my gifts and my talents and my abilities and my resources. See, this was bigger than just they wanted to build a big tower and avoid a flood. This was God's people declaring complete and total rebellion against the commands of God. They said, God, you want us to fill the earth? No, we'd rather settle. God, you, you have to separate from us because of sin? Well, we'll build a tower and we'll get to you in our own way. See, what they had done was they had exchanged God's glory for theirs. Verses 3 and 4 of this Chapter 11 says, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. I always say that word wrong, sorry. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Listen to that last phrase. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. God had commanded them to do that. God had commanded them to be dispersed. They chose to settle. What's God commanded you to do? What's the thing God has laid on your heart? What's the thing that when you pray and, and when you seek after God, it just comes back in your heart, in your mind? What's the thing that when you fall asleep at night, you worry about it, and when you wake up the next morning, it's the, the first thing on your mind that you know God has said, hey, go do this. Maybe it's something simple. Maybe it's just a conversation with a next-door neighbor. 
Maybe it's shining some light and some hope into somebody's family that has gone through some dark times or maybe just doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Maybe it's something as simple as, as committing to serve on a team here on October 15th. You've heard these videos and you're going, man, I, I really want to do that, but I don't know. I'm kind of nervous about that or I don't know if I have the time or the energy, but it just keeps stirring in your soul. Maybe it's something bigger than that. Maybe God's called you to go on the mission field and to serve in another country. Maybe God's called you to go on the mission field and serve down the street. Maybe God has stirred about somebody that you work with. Maybe God is speaking to you and going, hey, you have a lot of resources to give and there's a need over here. Maybe you could give a little. We get these callings. We get these commands from God. Hey, go do this. Hey, be a part of that. And when we don't, when we withhold, when we withdraw from what God is telling us to do, what we have done is we have essentially traded God's glory for our own. We've said, hey, God, I know you want to do that, and I know you want to accomplish a purpose in that. I know you want to see something happen in that, but I'm afraid to, or I don't want to, or I just, maybe I'm just, I don't know, nervous about it or whatever, but we've exchanged God's glory for our own. We don't want to mess up. We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to run short on time. We don't want to give of our kingdom. We hold back our glory why do we do that why do we find ourselves like the people of Babylon these, these people in the plain of Shinar who are looking at God and going hmm, we'll show you you told us to be dispersed over the face of the earth we're going to settle right here maybe God needs to shake us a little bit this morning Maybe God needs to wake us up a little bit this morning. Maybe God needs to come in and go, hey, hey, I've been speaking into your life for weeks or months or years. Are you gonna move yet? Because here's the truth, what we're about to get into here in just a second is that God only allows them to do this for a time <laughs> before God finally shows up in the middle of it and says, hey, <laughs> this isn't right. And my purposes and my glory is gonna be accomplished no matter what you do. I would rather give God his glory and his dues than to have him force it out of me. I'd rather be uh, one of the disciples who faithfully followed Jesus and did what they needed to do than to be a Jonah who fought and ran and ended up in the belly of a whale. God's purposes were still accomplished, but it was pretty stinky there for a little while. What's God calling you to do? What's he speaking into your life? What's he desire from you? Because the truth is that when we don't, we sin. When we don't do what God has called us to do, when we settle for something less, when we pursue our own glory rather than God's glory, we are living in sin. There's something important about this passage that is neat too. It wasn't just that these people decided to settle when they shouldn't have. It was that they, they really began to build for their own purposes. It says, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth, but, and that was a direct contradiction, but, but it was more than that. It, it was, man, let me, let me make a name for ourselves. Let me be prideful about this thing. Let me build myself up in this. Let's go up to where God lives. Let's, yeah, he's kicked us out of the garden, and he doesn't dwell with us in the evenings like he did with Adam and Eve, but man, we can build a tower, and we can get to where God is, but here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible's got all these fun little hidden things that are in there that if you dig deep enough, 
It's like, oh, wow. Didn't know that was there. Chapter 10, the first part of chapter 10 is written in a chiastic structure. It's a, it's a Hebrew writing that, that basically says uh, you got a statement at the beginning that matches a statement at the bottom. And, and so if you look with me, look at the first verse. It says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Skip with me down to verse 9. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth and the, there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the whole earth. We get kind of opposing passages. And we could kind of zoom in. Then it goes to another statement. Kind of down from statement A, you get statement B. And from the end of the passage, you can back up one statement and you'll find a mirrored statement. And eventually, if you follow that chiastic structure far enough, you come to a central idea in the middle of the passage. And it's what's trying to be really kind of forced on us. It is what is meant to be the central idea. So do you know which verse falls in the middle of this chiastic structure of Genesis chapter 11. Verse 5. Verse 5 says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. Watch this. These people have settled. They have tried to build their own kingdom. They're building a major city and a tower. They think they're going to build it all the way to where God lives, and they think they've done something, and they're just praising themselves. Man, look how amazing we are. We have built this tower all the way to the heavens where God is. And then verse 5, and the Lord came down. You know what that means? That's a sarcastic statement that says they didn't build it high enough. That's Moses writing, and he says, <laughs> they thought they could get to God, and God said, huh, you're just not big enough, bud. You're just not good enough to do that. It would be like, man, if one of my kids built a big Lego tower, and they bring it to me, and they're so proud of it, and they, they bring it up to me, and I, as their father, kind of look down at them and go, huh, how cute, how cute. That's God's statement to the people who are building this city and the tower. They, they think they've done something. They think they've accomplished something great in their name. They think that they're majestic and just awesome. And God goes, yeah, let me come down there to you because you're still way down here. God puts them in their place. We need to be reminded sometimes that even though we may accomplish some big things, even though we might build our own little city and tower, God has a kingdom that is much greater than anything we could ever build. And we can never achieve anything that he desires for us without his help. And that's what God directs their attention to and their heart to is, hey, I've called you for a purpose and you refused to do that purpose and instead you exchanged it for a purpose of your own and that you couldn't even do right. We will spend our whole lives building and accumulating and doing all of these things to stand before God one day and to have him go, that's wonderful. What did you do for my kingdom? That's wonderful that you did that. Great. That's so cute. But that's not what I called you to do. See, the Lord came down. He sees this city and this tower. He's got to go about a process of reversing all that they've done, and so we end up working our way backwards through that chiastic structure from that point forward. God sees the tower and the city that they've built. He confronts them about it. Then he disperses them and confuses their languages. The Lord came down. 
His purposes were still going to be accomplished. It was about his glory. We've been invited to build God's kingdom. Sometimes we settle for establishing cities and towers. Sometimes we exchange God's glory for our own. But God doesn't play that game. God doesn't come with us in that journey. God simply says, stop. You're doing the wrong thing. The effect of sin in us is that we trade God's kingdom for our own. The effect of sin is that we trade God's glory for our own. And the effect of sin is that we fail. We fail time and time again. It'll never be enough. Doesn't matter how big your house is, it'll never be enough. Doesn't matter how much money you have in a bank account, it'll never be enough. Doesn't matter how wonderful your family is, it'll never be enough. If it wasn't accomplishing the call that God has placed on your life. There's something important here that I want you to see too. I told you I was gonna give you a little bit of hope. I wanna just sprinkle a little bit of that in here this, this morning. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to start to get into the idea of redemption. We're going to see how God begins to take all of these things that are now fallen and broken and how he's going to restore them. Uh, but I want you to see something pretty incredible as I was reading again through just some commentaries this week and studying a little bit. Several of the commentaries mentioned this, and I loved it. They said, you need to read chapter 11, and you need to read verse 7. And then we're going to jump to a different passage. I just want you to see it with me. Read Hebrews, or excuse me, not Hebrews. Genesis chapter 11, verse 7 says, Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Jump with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, listen to this, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own tongue. See, God had to do something at the Tower of Babel to stop sin. He had a purpose that needed to be accomplished and his glory needed to be shown. And the people at Babel had refused to do that. They were living in sin. They decided to create something for their own name and their own glory. They built this tower. And so God comes down and he says, I got to mess this up for you. Sorry, I got to stop this from happening. So let me confuse your languages and you're not going to be able to understand one another at this point. And you're going to be dispersed and my purposes are going to be accomplished. What I wanted you to do in the first place is going to happen. But God never leaves things in a broken state. God never leaves things in such a way that there's not hope and a future for what's coming. And so we see the culmination of that in Acts chapter 2. Uh, the, the disciples are mourning the loss of Jesus. Uh, Jesus has come back. He's shown himself to them. And now they're rejoicing and they're celebrating. But now Jesus has said, hey, go into Jerusalem and wait. 
And while you're in Jerusalem waiting, just pray and fast and seek after me. And while you're doing that or when you do that, I'm going to send a helper. And it's going to be very obvious when that happens. And, and so the guys are gathered together in the upper room. They're praying. They're doing their thing. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, this wind sound comes rushing through. And a fire comes down. And tongues of fire sit on the heads of these disciples. And they walk out of that room. And they begin to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ in one language that everyone understands, or really quite the opposite. They proclaim it in every language so that everyone understands. See, what was broken at the Tower of Babel was restored when the Holy Spirit came. God doesn't break things without offering redemption. God doesn't allow us to live in the brokenness of our sin without giving us hope somewhere that this will be fixed and it'll be uh, uh, over and done with at some point. We see it over and over and over again. Uh, Jesus, uh, or excuse me, God comes to Adam and Eve and he says, hey, you've sinned in the garden, but he immediately gives them a promise. Hey, one day, somebody from your lineage, Eve is gonna come. Someone from your womb is gonna come. He's going to squash the head of the serpent. There was hope that was found in that. There was redemption that was found in that. We talked about that even as we came across the story of Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother, but, but God comes to Cain and he says, hey, quit running. Like, just admit to what you did. And Cain refuses. But even in the midst of his refusal, God still protects him and says, hey, I'm going to put a mark on you and no one's going to touch you and I'm going to protect you even though you've rebelled against me. There is hope even in the midst of that sin. We're going to see as we walk through the rest of the Old Testament, that is time and time again in the, in the promises of the Old Testament. People rebel and they sin and they walk away from God and God uh, waits patiently for a little while, but then he sends consequence to the sin in hopes to restore and redeem them. And over and over and over again throughout the course of history, throughout the stories of Scripture, we find the people repenting of their sin, coming back to God, and God always redeems. God always brings a remnant along with them. Even in the story of the Tower of Babel, a people who were completely fallen, who had rebelled completely against the commands of God. God says, hey, fine, my purposes still need to be accomplished. Let me disperse you. But one day I'm going to bring you all back together in the city of Jerusalem and you're going to proclaim my goodness to thousands of people and a movement is going to be created that will not end. I don't know what God has spoken to you, what he's told you to do. But I do know that if you are not living into that calling of your life, you're no better than the people who stopped and settled to build the Tower of Babel. So maybe you need to hear this message this morning and be convicted that you have settled for a city and a tower when God has called you to build a kingdom. And maybe you need to be reminded that even if you've messed that up, there's still hope and a future for you. God's still gonna use you to accomplish his, to accomplish his purposes and his glory. But what it'll take is a submissive heart. What it'll take is us going before God and say, God, we messed up. We want to follow you. And we want to restore your story. We want to see your story be accomplished. So what is it for you? What's God laid on your heart? What have you been running from that God is saying, hey, 
stop. It's time to move. It's time to be dispersed. It's time to accomplish my purposes and my glory. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, we thank you this morning for an opportunity to hear from your word. God, I just thank you for the story of the Tower of Babel, and I thank you most importantly that that center of that structure, Father, the center of that passage is that you came down. See, God, you could have left them. You could have let them piddle in their little city and make their little tower. You could have sat up in heaven and just laughed the whole time. But God, you came down. And Father, there's another time in Scripture where you did that. And it was for me. There's another time in Scripture where sin had permeated the world. But you came down. God, sin permeated my life. But you came after me. You left the 99 to pursue the one. God, you came after my heart and you pursued me even when I was living in complete and total rebellion, Father. And you came after me and you said, Chris, stop. You've settled for a, a city and a tower and I called you to build a kingdom. God, I praise you for that day in my life. But Father, maybe you're doing that for somebody else this morning too. Maybe this morning they, they need to hear that you've pursued them too. And that whatever sin they've been dealing with, whatever they've been living in, Father, it, it is just a, it's just a city and a tower. That'll never accomplish what they think it's going to accomplish. And they need to come back to the sun. Because you came down for them. God, may you be glorified and honored in this place this morning. Whatever you want to do in the lives of the people in this room, Father, we submit ourselves to that. We just pray that your spirit would breathe and speak to us, God, that we would know precisely what it is you're calling us to do. And that we wouldn't walk out of this room today going, well, it was a halfway decent sermon and some good worship and great time of fellowship and man, I'll see you back next Sunday. But rather we would walk out of this room today going, man, God has called me for a purpose. God has called me to accomplish something. And I've got to forsake all other things to make that thing happen this week. Because God, Yahweh, creator of the universe has called my name and has invited me to build his kingdom nothing else matters so father you move and you speak however you need to this morning and we'll praise you and glorify you for it it's in your name that we pray amen